0: Well welcome once again it's Giles here with this podcast teaching on why you should have a mega ministry part two and I'm looking at both why pastors should dream of having big churches really if you don't want to have a big church I then question your call to be a pastor and the same with evangelists if you don't want to win lots of people for Jesus I question your call because you know we We have a burning desire, a passion in our hearts to see as many people saved as possible. Anyhow, I I know that these points uh, will encourage you, stir you, make you dream bigger and plan for greater things. So sit back, enjoy, and I pray that your faith is stirred as you listen. Number four, you should have a big ministry because the field is the world. Okay, God's, the, the field for the gospel is the world. Um, Matthew 13 and 38 says, the, Jesus said, the field is the world. The world is the field. So if your vision for your ministry is just for your neighborhood, your community, or even your city, then your vision is too small, my friend. You as a generational leader need to be thinking beyond that. Your your vision should be not just for your locality, but for your nation. And not just for your nation, but for the world. Are you hearing? Because that's what Jesus said. The field is the world. Mark 16 and 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you say, oh, but pastor, you know, that's that's for, you know, for all of us to complete, you know, not just for us. Well, just remember, though, that Jesus said that to his disciples, you know, the, that only them it wasn't actually speaking directly to us. he was speaking to them. OK. And so and these were that small group of fishermen from Galilee, uneducated, poorly brought up. You know, guys, he said, No, your mission's the world. And you you might say, Oh, well, Pastor, I don't know if they did that. Well, you know, Peter was called to go to the Gentiles, and he fulfilled that really, only going into Cornelius's house. And I think that God raised up Paul partly because Peter didn't fulfill what he was called to do. Paul went to the world, and therefore Paul had the mega ministry, the biggest ministry of his generation. Paul was accused of turning the whole world upside down. Do you follow? So it's really just a case of whether you believe it or not. You know, whether you make yourself, uh, you put yourself in a position of faith where you believe that your ministry, wherever you are, will touch not just your community, but your city, not just your city, but your nation, not just your nation, but the world. And if you think about it, our generation, with all the technology we have for real-time communication online, we are the generation without excuse for not going to all the world. In fact, the very reason um, that we set up this mentoring group is because we have a vision to take the gospel to every nation, 196 nations. And why not? You know, if we can have 17 of us here, why can't we have 196 from every nation here? It's not that difficult if you think about it. You know, we've got the technology, so let's do it. Let's just you, you, I mean, we, you just need to make that decision. My ministry will be a mega ministry. My ministry will be a you know, a citywide, nationwide international ministry. That's what you're called to do. So break out of this small thinking. You know, that it's, you know, yes, you do need to be faithful with the little. Don't worry. I I get all that. But your vision needs to be much more than just the little. Amen. Okay. Number five. Why should you have a mega ministry? Because if you've got a bigger church or a bigger ministry, you're going to have more workers who can be raised up and trained. Okay. What is the, perhaps the biggest reason why churches don't grow is because it lacks workers. Okay. It's not a case of money. And I say that because Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 9:37, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Hallelujah. So that's what that's what he said the problem was. Okay. He didn't say, but the money's few, he just said the laborers are few. So the bigger your church, the bigger your ministry, the more you'll find that there are people in that ministry who come alongside you and say, pastor, I want to run with the same vision. I want to do the same thing. I want to hold crusades. I want to get out there as well. And so, you know, you just start growing and growing and growing. The growth becomes exponential. Okay. So, you know, that whatever ministry you have whatever church you have you're always going to have some people who are passive all right there's always going to be a proportion not everybody in your church is going to be an overcomer willing to pay the price willing to carry a cross and remember the difference there guys to be saved you don't need to carry a cross but to be a disciple you do need to carry a cross you do need to d- deny yourself so in every church you're going to have those kind of believers who are happy to be saved but they're really not that faithful, not that involved, not that committed. They don't really pray. They don't give offerings or tithes. They don't make themselves available for mission or for outreach. You're going to have them. Every church has them. Okay, they're believers, saved by grace, plucked from the fire, but, they, but they're not overcomers. They're not those who are going to be rewarded and given position in the coming kingdom. And they're not those. Why? Because they're not willing to deny themselves and actually put the kingdom first, okay? But in, just as you'll have passive people in your church, you'll also have active people, overcomers. God will raise them up. So, of course, the more people you have, the more likely you're going to have more overcomers too, more people who want to get involved in church growth and church expansion, okay? Jesus said, labor are a few. What's the solution? Pray. What's the solution? Pray boy, you know, the older I get, the more I see it, but everything comes through prayer, prayer, prayer. Never, you know, what you, I've discovered this as a minister, never speak to people that you haven't prayed for. You know what I mean? When you speak to people that you've prayed for, it puts you in a position of authority. So in the mornings, you know, whenever you pray, just make sure you pray before every Sunday service you know, every crusade, every meeting, just make sure you've prayed for that group, because then you're you, you've already you've already spoken to God about the people before you speak to the people about God it just prepares the environment for you. Um, if you read this new book that I'm launching, I'm talking talk about how pastors need to pray for their people, their Sunday services, but not necessarily immediately before the service. Because if you burn yourself out in prayer just before you get up to preach, you might not have the energy to preach. So I talk about how you constantly need to fill up your tank of prayer, okay, in your own personal time with the Lord. Just put everything before the Lord. Amen. And you can pray specifically that the Lord will give you, give you laborers all around you. That's an answer to prayer. It really is. It's not just an answer to you being a great preacher or a communicator. You know, prayer is the thing that that gives birth to your to new levels of your ministry. The fruit that you have is a result of your prayer. Okay. Your the size of your ministry is a result of your prayer. Okay, because you've got God involved now. If it's just you involved, then this is a supernatural work. It can't be born, it's not born of the flesh, it's not born of your your own strength. It's its born of his. So you've ha- you have to involve God in the equation. And you do that by prayer. What is prayer? It's an invitation to God to be involved in that area. So pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. If you want to have a mega ministry, pray for laborers. Amen. Okay, number six. You need a mega ministry because when you have more people, uh, you'll find that there will be more expectation and a bigger corporate desire for a move of God. So, for example, if I'm preaching to a, a bigger crowd, then there will be a bigger atmosphere of faith. to follow? Because one will contaminate the other. And lots of people believing at the same time can produce a really dynamic environment. I've sometimes used the analogy of the river Amazon, we're here in Brazil, which has got the largest volume of water in the world. Jesus said that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So each of us have got rivers, each individual believer's got rivers of living water flowing through them if they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's glorious. But then put two of those believers together, then you've got double the amount, three triple the amount, four, quadruple them, you get the picture. So if you get a 1,000 people together who are <laughs> filled with the Holy Spirit, okay, and overflowing, that produces a really extraordinarily powerful Holy Ghost environment. So the more people you have, in a sense, the more miracles you'll have, the more dynamic you'll have, the the, the, the stronger the presence of God, okay? And that's, of course, what you want, uh, you know, and, and in that environment, a crowd will attract a crowd. So, again, your, your, your ministry will start growing leaps and bounds. And then number seven, you should have a mega ministry, because if you do, and this is very practical, uh, you'll have lots of young people. And the young people will stick together because they'll find other young people to hang out with and even to marry. What happens with lots of small churches is they can't find, young people don't find friends in their own church. So they go off to other churches to find friends or they go off to other churches to find marriage partners. And often they marry outside of their own local church and the local church loses them to another church. Now, obviously, amen, it's a win for the kingdom of God, but it's actually a loss for you as a local church pastor. You could have a really great right-hand man, a disciple who's full of the Holy Ghost, got a call to the ministry, but there's no girl for him to marry, no no pretty sister in the church. And he finds one in another church. And so whilst you're happy for him, you're pretty sad because he then sticks with the other church. So, you want to make sure that you have lots of young people in your own church because every pastor has a desire that his own sheep um, mate within his own fold. Do you follow? And of course, if they're mating, then they're producing kids. Okay? And then your church is growing that way as well. And so all these things are great for a local church, for a ministry. Okay, you want to I mean, I'm kind of of the opinion that whatever strategy it takes just to add more people to the fold, let's use it. I mean, I think you may have heard of the statistics for reproduction around the world. Europe is one of the lowest now, I think. I think in in many nations of Europe, most couples, have, an average, have a less than one child on average. I think it's 0.8. So there are a lot of couples who don't have children, in other words. Okay. And then I think in the UK, it's something like 1.2. So most families have one child. Few families have two children. So obviously, you're not even, you know, if church growth was just a matter of having, you know, new members because of new children then most churches in the UK would be shrinking because the two are becoming one. So that's halving in size with every generation. I hope you're following my mathematics. So actually, as a pastor of a church, what should be my my, uh, advice to all the young couples in the church? Have lots of children because then we can get a big church here. Amen. (laughs) And don't worry because... That's the will of God to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But pastor, it's so expensive to have children. Once again, get your eyes off your needs and get your eyes on the supplier. Titus is with us today, my eldest son. Uh, We have four children. So we've broken that (laughs) paradigm. Hopefully we're setting a standard for other families. And we've discovered that with every child, we've prospered more. And that's what God will do for parents of big families. Hallelujah. Okay. Another reason for our mega ministry is because obviously it will mean that the more people involved, normally the bigger your income, the church income. And, you know, if you have a bigger income, then you will be able to get involved in more things. Acts chapter 4 First verse 34 and 35 says, nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles feet. And they distributed to each one as anyone had need. So, you know, the more people you got involved, actually, the more needs you'll be able to meet. Okay. The more ministries you'll be able to have. Uh, the early church really uh, advanced. Not, I don't, I don't think because they had sort of millionaires. It's just they had a multitude of people, so many people giving that it just meant that they could do so much. All right, and and number nine, very similarly, the bigger your bigger your the membership of the church, then you're going to have a bigger talent pool. So you'd be able to birth more ministries. You know, you have more more people who are talented at praise, and worship, teaching, preaching, administration and looking after people like the deacons serving widows and orphans. So so many ministries you, have, you could have, as well as sort of business services like lawyers and accountants and doctors and dentists and things like that, you know, that can serve the body. So you'll find that you just have a bigger talent pool the the larger your ministry. But just to finalize these these thoughts, number 10, you should have a bigger ministry because the glory of the latter house is to be greater than the former house. And let me just quote that scripture to you from Haggai 2.9. Scripture says, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts, hallelujah. So the prophetic promise is that the end time church will be the most glorious church, okay? So you gotta kind of keep that in mind the whole time. And let me just say this, you're all on this call from different nations and from different cities, now, in your city where you're at, let me ask the question Is there a mega church? Are there people, are there ministries that are winning the multitudes? Now, again, I know we've got some of you from Muslim nations where it's difficult, but like I said at the beginning, everything's relative. So a church of 200 could be a mega church where you are. Uh, you might only have 10, so your dream is to get to 200. Hallelujah. But some of you, uh, especially you know the guys from south america the guys from africa etc you're probably in cities where there are churches of 1000 5000 10000 now here's my point if god has graced another minister to have a mega church in your city then there's grace available for you as well to have a mega church in that city there's no reason not to there's no reason not to there's grace available Remember, God is not, it doesn't have uh, favorites. There's grace available in your city for that. So look around. And if there's a big church there, you can pray that prayer. You can say, Lord, there's grace available here in this city for a big church. Therefore, I want to have a similar thing for my own ministry. That becomes your standard. And if you think about it with me as well, God always works in a sense with teams Okay, who aren't necessarily maybe teams, the wrong word, but but he groups people together um, in certain seasons. So, for example, in 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 scripture, um, you don't just have Elijah on his own. You have Elijah and Elisha. And then he he, and these guys thought they were all on their own. But actually, if you remember, Elisha, Elijah complains to God that he's the only prophet. And God corrects him. He says, There's 7,000 prophets that haven't bowed their knees to Baal. Okay. So, you know, Elijah didn't know them, but there were lots of other anointed people around in his generation. And actually, if you go through the Old Testament, you can see how many of the prophets overlapped in timing with the kings and so forth. And then you look into church history. Um, and you see that, for example, in the time of the Reformation, we know of Martin Luther, but Martin Luther was a contemporary of John Calvin and Zwingli, okay, and John Knox. These were all the great reformers. They were all alive at the same time, in the same generation, moving in the same move of God, but they weren't actually in the same geographical place. They weren't a team together. John Knox was in Scotland. Calvin and Zwingli were in Switzerland and Geneva. Luther was in Germany. They didn't really have direct contact. But my point is this grace was available for all of them in their different environments for that season, for that generation. Okay. And so the same too today. If there's a mega church pastor in your city, then you don't actually have to be his friend. Okay. You you could, but there's grace available. So you can you could. hope you enjoyed that. And I've got a free download for you uh, of the sermon notes or the notes of this podcast. And you can get those by looking in the description of this podcast in the show notes below. And you can download your own copy of that so that you can share these thoughts with other people, should you like. All right. Uh, like I said, pray for us. We're entering a time now where we're doing a lot of outreach meetings and uh, we're seeing so many people come to the kingdom so god bless you we're with you in heart and in spirit and in prayer if not in person god bless you